Welcome to Grace This Weekend. Thanks for being here. If uh, you're here in the room, thanks for showing up. And uh, if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in that way. Or if you're at the extension, of course, thanks for being there as well. And uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Maybe hear how you made your way to Grace This Weekend. And I want to tell you about something that's really exciting, actually, that's very important to the movement of grace. Uh, Here at Grace, we feel called to a vision called 30 and 30. And uh, we are called to plant 30 campuses or 30 churches in 30 years. And uh, God has been working that vision for a while now. And uh, what we long to see happen is we long to bring the church to the community. Uh, Rather than asking people to leave their community to go to church, we want to bring a church, kind of a gospel community, to anywhere where there's not a kind of a, a church that's there where the gospel is clear and accessible. And so we've been doing that for a while. And uh, just this last weekend, we actually launched our eighth campus. They launched with 234 people in uh, Sterling, Ohio. That campus is called County Line Campus. And uh, we are excited to tell you about that. Isn't that fun? Yeah, you can clap for that. So a lot of fun there. Pastor Christian and the team are doing an amazing job, and uh, we sense that. Uh, someone actually gifted us a building, a church did, and we were able to kind of rebuild a community there uh, and see that that gospel community begin to grow. And so we're excited for them, and I would just encourage you, if you have friends or family, if you know anybody in the Sterling, Seville, Creston area, uh, please let them know that there is a strong, viable church there that will help people know Jesus. And so feel free to extend that invitation to folks. Uh, they're open and uh, they're ready to go. So be praying for them. It's hard work to start a new campus. And so they're going to be in the thick of it here uh, for quite some time. So excited to tell you about that. Of course, there's always exciting things happening here around Grace Church. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about, of course, uh, over the last handful of weeks has been this series called Untamed. And we're looking at emotions from a different angle, kind of looking at the, the real emotions that show up in our lives that sometimes are a little bit dangerous. We said if they're not brought under control, if they're not tamed, uh, then they can it kind of at best limit our potential in what we're going to grow into as a human being. At worst, they might devastate or destroy our lives. And so we said emotion in of itself is not a bad thing. Uh, it's not a wrong thing. In fact, we're made to be emotional beings. It's kind of part of how God's wired us, that we are creating the image of God. We're made with an intellect, right? So we think and we think thoughts. Of course, we have a volition, a will. We make decisions. And then we're emotional. We feel feelings, and those feelings are very real, and they're very, very powerful. And so we want to recognize those, and we recognize that we all come into kind of the conversation today from a different angle. Uh, Many of us would come into the conversation And we would have been taught either by our family or our church family maybe to deny our emotions, to pretend like they're not real and they don't affect us that much, right? To don't even acknowledge it when I'm angry or when I'm hurt. We don't talk about that. It's not something that we kind of dive into. Many of us were taught that way. Uh, Others of us were taught to be really defined by our emotions, that when you feel it, it's true. You should act on that, kind of go with your gut and embrace your emotions no matter what they say. And we would say neither of those approaches to emotions are going to lead us to a great place. Probably the place of health and vibrancy that we would long to go to is a place where our emotions are directed by Jesus. So we said we want to understand and approach emotions from that perspective. What does it look like to bring things like hurt and envy and anger and fear under the control of Jesus? And would that change our lives if we could get a hold of it? And so that's what we've been diving into over the last handful of weeks. 
Uh, we opened up the conversation a, a few weeks ago talking about hurt and forgiveness. And we said, one of the things that happens when we're hurt is we often have to go back to go forward. That if we wanna move forward in life, we wanna continue to grow and change, I usually have to go back to a hurt and deal with that and forgive it if I'm gonna be able to move on. Uh, and then just last week, and Pastor Jeff walked us into a conversation on envy. We, we said that, boy, it's totally normal to long to have some things in life, but when I long for what you have, that's where envy happens. And when I embrace that envy, it can be uh, kind of damaging to my relationships. So he talked us through how to rejoice with those who rejoice, how to mourn with those who mourn, and how to trust that God has me in a place that's exactly where he wants me in life, and he's going to be with me through that. So if you missed either of those conversations, well, I'd highly encourage you to catch up online. I think it'll be helpful to you. I think this series in general is important and powerful to change our lives. And so you can do that at graceohio.org. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube and uh, watch all those for free or uh, listen online, of course. So what we want to do today is continue to advance the conversation. We're going to look at a conversation all around anger today. And anger is a huge topic. It's a complicated topic topic. And uh, we're going to, of course, dive kind of headlong into it. It's a massive thing that we would see all over our culture today. Of course, there's pictures that would pop into our minds right away when we think of anger. Some of those are fun, right? We're going to see things like this with uh, kids' movies. Of course, the Hulk is going to show up all over. He is the embodiment of anger. And then a bunch of us are going to look like this guy right here, right? Especially with traffic and Montrose coming up around the holidays, we are going to be the person who's road raging, why are you going 48 and 65? That's a question we all want to know. Here we go. And then, oh, look, there's these people. This is where you tackle people for a flat screen. <laughs> that time of year is coming, which is a lot of fun. So, of course, those things we're going to play with a little bit and laugh at. But, of course, anger gets more serious and more intense as well. Uh, there's a reality that, that anger left untamed can lead to unthinkable violence We've seen some of that play out even in the last weeks here in our culture, and that breaks the heart of God. These are examples of, of what can happen when we allow anger to rule and to run our lives in a way that's inappropriate and certainly unthinkable to God. So we want to dive into this and begin to understand it. And there's a part of me that wishes I could just say, hey, anger is wrong. Don't do it. See you guys next week. It's just not that simple. That's the reality. Right, the reality is that, that anger is often very, very wrong, but there's also the side of anger where sometimes anger is very, very right. And how do I know the difference? How do I know when anger is actually appropriate and it's important for me to be angry about some things versus when anger is inappropriate and really just selfish and, and it's something that I should put off? That's what we want to dive into and try to at least gain our bearings and see if we can find some understanding on this conversation. So you may say, Ryan, give me some definition to anger. What do you mean by that? Here's a broad definition that we can work with for our conversation today. Anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. I'm so annoyed. Right? This thing, something's happening. It's made me hostile. I don't like it. I'm frustrated by it. We're all going to face that, right? All, anger of all kinds. Something's not right. Something needs to change. Something is blocking my goals. A strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. And what I want to do is that's kind of the big picture look at anger. And then what I want to do is break anger out, right, confront, kind of from that big bubble idea of anger. And I want to break it into two different motivations. 
We're going to look at anger from a, a human anger standpoint. And we also want to look at anger from a righteous anger standpoint, right? Kind of two different ways that I might grab hold of anger depending on where I'm coming from. So let's look first at human anger and where that comes from. Human anger is often the result of elevating a longing uh, into the level of an expectation, right? When I have a longing, kind of a normal, reasonable longing, I long to drive to work and not get cut off. I long to have a conversation with you and not get into an argument, right? I long to text you and have you text me back. But when I move that to the level of an expectation, right, where when someone cuts me off and I expected to, to be able to get to work on time and I expected no one to bother me, but it didn't happen that way, anger is what results. My expectation wasn't met, I am frustrated by that. I'm annoyed by it. It causes hostility or displeasure in me, and now I'm angry, right? When, when my longings, my desires elevate to that level, here's what James would say it this way. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? When, when the desires that kind of roll in my heart, when they elevate, when they escalate to the level of an expectation, my agenda will happen the way that I think that it should happen. And when it doesn't happen that way, I'm angry about it. When you don't behave the way I expect you to behave, when the circumstances don't play out the way that they should play out, when I go to the store and expect to buy the thing and I don't expect there to be a line and there is one, I'm frustrated. When that clerk makes a mistake, I'm angry, right? We see it happen all the time. It's, a, it's kind of a normal human emotion that we're gonna bump into because our longings often are going to escalate to the level of an expectation. I was thinking about this this week. Sometimes when I have a busy week and I, I'm like, really need to get some stuff done, I'll leave the office and I'll go work at the library. Right? I'm kind of a nerd at heart. So I like to go to the library and I like to go uh, get some of my work done. I like to go out of town and go to some different libraries a little far away where I can just like focus and get work done. So this one library that I went to, I was just longing to get some, some good quality work done, get it knocked out, right? And I was kind of expecting to do that. And so I show up there, wanted to get about three or four hours of work done. And I show up and uh, this library that I go to has like a quiet section, right? You can kind of chat throughout like the rest of the library, but th this part of the library it is like for people that are like serious library people, right? Like they're gonna get like work done. They're, they're the focused people who are, are there to work on purpose. And so I show up, man, and I am dialed in. Like I'm ready. I got coffee in my hand. They get a little cubicle. I get my little computer out. I'm opening it up, getting my pen ready. I'm like ready to focus, right? Ready to get some serious library work done. I work on my conversation about anger, right? In the meantime, so somebody walks in and they've got this, this guy walks in, he's got this bag full of stuff, like an Acme bag, full of something. You know, I just see him walk in and I'm like, oh, interesting. Guy walks in and he sits about five feet behind me, kind of catty corner. There's all these cubicles, we're in the quiet section and he's right back here and he sits down with his plastic bag. I think, oh, okay, no big deal. All of a sudden, I start to hear him take things out of his plastic bag. You know, I hear the, and I think to myself, that's probably going to end soon. You know, like he's probably going to take the things out of the bag and it's going to be like done. You know, in, 
and it's not done. Like there, there's minutes of, I'm like, what could possibly be happening back here? Like, I haven't turned around yet because I'm not, I'm not like not ready to make eye contact. He's literally like five feet away from me, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself, this has got to stop soon. I'm just about ready to really dive in. I'm only a couple minutes into my work session here and I'm trying to not lose my mind and the crinkling continues, right? He's just like, and then all of a sudden I hear the most annoying sound on the planet. Do you know what the most annoying sound on the planet is? Mm, it's this right here. I'm, I haven't found it yet. I'm almost convinced that in Leviticus, there's a verse that says, thou shalt eat with your mouth closed, right? <laughs> Makes me crazy, like losing my mind crazy. And so I hear eating, I hear the crinkling, it's happening all, it's all happening right here. I'm looking around like, isn't anyone else bothered by this? And there's one other guy over on my other side, he's got huge headphones. He doesn't even know what's happening, right? It's just me and this guy. And I turn around, I look at this guy, I couldn't believe it. I look at him and he's got a three pound block of cheese in a wrapper and he's just chowing down on this thing, staring at me. I was like, at that point, I thought to myself, this can't be happening. Like somebody's gotta be taping me right now because I'm working on my anger thing over here and I'm about to lose my mind. I try to put my headphones in, I plug my phone in, it dies instantly because evidently my iPhone has to die every 30 seconds right now. So, right, that's another problem. So I decide to myself, before I lose it, I'm gonna go pack my stuff up and let Cheese Man eat his cheese over here, right? It's really not that bad, but I gotta leave right now. The reality is we all are gonna bump into stupid situations like that all the time, right? That guy was eating too loud. That person's driving too slow. That person didn't text me back fast enough. That employee's too chatty. They didn't get their work done on time. Expectations not met. Anger, right? It's just gonna happen. And cheese guy is gonna make us crazy when really all he's doing is just eating some lunch. It's not a big deal. And, and James is gonna talk to this. He's saying these, this, these desires that battle within, you gotta watch them. Why? He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Here's the, here's the big point. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, right? Cheese guy's eating his cheese over here. I'm all flustered about it. What did it accomplish? Nothing. It didn't, it didn't produce the righteousness of God. Nothing changed. When my expectations aren't met, when somebody doesn't drive quite fast enough, right? When, when the politics don't play quite fast the way I want them to, when my frustration is playing out, it doesn't produce anything. It's just human anger. It's just making me crazy. That's the reality of it, right? And so human anger in and of itself, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. That's why James is gonna say, hey, listen, be quick to listen, be, be slow to speak, be slow to become angry. This doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. But all of us are gonna bump into it. We're all gonna bump into human anger and that's the reality kind of how it works. That's human anger. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the other side of the coin, righteous anger, righteous anger. This is one that we may or may not be as familiar with. 
There's a fascinating side to anger that's going to show up. Uh, John Bloom gives a definition of this. He says, righteous anger is being angry at what makes God angry. Now, this is pretty important. Uh, If you're new to Grace, if you're a guest with us, it's really important to me that you know that we view the Bible and what the Bible says about God is that he is primarily not marked by anger. It's part of who he is. What primarily marks God is his love, right? His passion for us. That's why he would go to unbelievable lengths to rescue us and send his son to save us. And God is a God who's a good father, right? And like any good father who loves their kids, they're gonna love their kids and have a passion for them. I love my kids. I've got four kids between six and 11. I love my kids, man. I love being with them. I love raising them. I love investing in them. I want them to become all that God wants them to become. And when one kid slaps the other kid, it makes me angry, right? There's a reality to that. There's, there's an anger at injustice at when someone is hurt that I love and you've done it. There's an anger to that. Not a dysfunctional, fly-off-the-handle anger, but an anger, and it's real. And God has an anger like that. There's a righteous anger that God has. When God looks out into the world and he sees people dying from the opioid crisis, that makes him angry. When he, when he sees people caught in human trafficking, that makes God angry. It breaks his heart, causes him to be fired up. Right? When he sees injustice in the world, when he sees our lives not embraced in the manner in which he would long to see them embraced, causes God to be angry. Why? Because he knows that he, he has our best interest in mind. And rather than us grabbing hold of the life that he has given us, we're settling for less. And that makes his heart break. It makes him angry. There's a righteous anger that's real. It's a real thing, right? So righteous anger exists. It's real. It's an injustice. It's when, frankly, it's this. It's when something in me or in the world that just needs to change it needs to become the way that God would envision it. That's what brings out righteous anger. And we adopt that anger. When I look at the world, I see right and wrong, and I look at wrong and say, that makes me mad. And that's appropriate. We should be mad about that. When lives are lost needlessly, that should make us upset. Right? When people are taken advantage of, it should make us upset. It should frustrate us. It should cause hostility in us. It should, make us ups- it should sometimes cause us to lose sleep at night. It's a righteous anger, right? So we looked at human anger. We looked at righteous anger, kind of to set up those definitions. The question you might ask and I might ask is, where do those lead us? How do I process human anger? How do I process righteous anger? Where do those lead me as I interact with them? It's a great question. Let me show you this verse first on our way there. Paul says this. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. This is a fascinating translation of the Bible. This one says, in your anger, don't sin. Another translation says this, be angry, yet do not sin. God would look at us and say, yes, anger is gonna be a part of your experience. When I find myself angry, don't let it move me to a place where I am sinning in my anger where it's driving me to be out of control or causing me to hurt or damage others. Let's just look at how this looks. When I look at human anger, 
when I begin to bump into it, my expectations aren't met, where and how should I process it? And maybe even how should I not process it? That might be the first question we should answer is what should I not do with it? When I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm, I'm fired up and it's because my expectations weren't met, at the end of the day, if I was really honest, that's the case, what shouldn't I do? I shouldn't embrace it. Don't embrace it. Don't embrace the anger. There was a body of kind of teaching and counseling that said for a while that if you're angry, what you need to do is you need to vent it. You need to just like get it out there. And if you get it all out there, you're going to feel better. The reality is they did a study on that thought process and tested people who vented their anger, who embraced their anger, and all it did was made them more angry. Didn't help. Didn't help. But in fact, the Bible talked about this thousands of years before. Here's what it says. Proverbs, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. That fascinating. The Bible's going to say it's a fool who says, I am so mad. I'm going to tell social media. I'm going to tell my hundreds or thousands of friends about how mad I am about this incident that happened in my day. So this is a fool that does that. It's a fool that walks around and spreads anger to every person they interact and tells them how bad a situation was. I mean, a fool does that. So at the end of the day, it doesn't accomplish anything. The, the wise person is the one who brings calm. Fools bring full vent to their rage. So I'm not to embrace the anger. I'm not to live in it and dwell in it or try to keep it going. I want to get a hold of it and bring it under the reign of Christ. Here's next I don't want to do. I don't want to be hurtful in anger. Anger can lead to the next step where, where I start to be damaging in my relationships, my interactions with others. Here's the way the Bible would talk about it. it says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips is rid yourself of this. For somebody who, uh, who is a follower of Jesus, we have the freedom to, to break loose of all this and rid our lives of it. So to be hurtful of other people, to be angry and to see that anger cause me or I allow it to cause me to then turn and be violent or I'm being physically abusive to someone, verbally abusive, sexually, you name it, any kind of abuse where I am embracing my anger and it's causing me to hurt other people is absolutely inappropriate and cannot be tolerated. If you're in a situation where you are being abused, hear me, you must get out of it. You must deal with the situation, get help. If you are an abuser, if you're someone who in your anger is pushing or pinching or shoving or hitting or screaming in someone's face or screaming obscenities at someone, calling someone belittling or demeaning names, that is abuse. It is wrong, it is inappropriate, and it cannot be tolerated. Right? We can't go down that road. It's inappropriate. I don't want to live there. I don't want to damage relationships because anger is taking hold of my life. No way. I don't want to be someone who's operating out of rage and responding and living in untamed anger. Who knows where that can lead? These are certainly damaging ways to live. I don't want to do that. We're all going to face human anger when I face it. What do I do with it then, Ryan? Right? If I'm not to do any of this, how do I process it? Here's what I'd say. 
when human anger hits, I don't want to go here. I want to go to a different place. I want to first acknowledge it. So the whole body of teaching that says, listen, just pretend like you're not angry and it'll go away is just not helpful. I need to acknowledge it. The Bible would talk a lot about confession. And in a moment, I can do that. It's going to say, Lord, I'm angry right now. Help me with this. Forgive me. I'm frustrated. I'm feeling upset. I'm feel, maybe I'm feeling hurt as well, right? Connected to the first week. But I'm, I'm in a place where I need to acknowledge my anger because then I can be in a place where I can deal with it, right? I gotta acknowledge it first, admit it. When I am at the end of my rope, I can now get into a place, right, where I say, now I can reset my expectations. I'm admitting the emotional state that I'm in and now I can move forward, right? And then when I reset my expectations, I can look and say, why did this cause me to be angry? What was I actually expecting to have happen here? Did I think that this world somehow became um, unsinful and unbroken, where things should always happen according to the way that I expect them to happen? I don't don't know how that happens in my life, but it, it continues to happen that I think everything should happen as ideally as it happens in my brain. I want to reset my expectations and come back to reality and say, is it reasonable to expect that? No, it's not. Most of the time, my anger is a result of thinking I'm the most important person in the room, right? And my agenda wins. So when I do that, when I reset my expectations, when I acknowledge the anger, I'm put into a place where I can begin to embrace gentleness. I can begin to embrace gentleness. Gentleness is the character of Jesus. Jesus is strong. He actually would operate at times in righteous anger, but predominantly, Jesus is a gentle man. He's a meek man where there's strength or power under control. It's fascinating. Look at this verse with me real quick. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this. I notice this all the time because my kids are in this stage where they're going to bicker a lot. If you grew up in a home where you had a bunch of siblings, maybe you remember bickering a bunch, you argue and you're fighting. When I, when I walk into a situation where my kids are fighting with each other, they're arguing, they're vehement, they're convinced that their position is the right position and they are committed to it. And then dad enters the room, the whole thing changes, right? It's how it works. The whole thing changes. Now, all of a sudden they're less convinced, wait a minute, Dad has the authority in the room and he sees what's happening right now. Maybe he's got a different perspective because I've gotten stuck in my own view. I'm so angry because this didn't happen the way that I thought it should. When I recognize that 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 barista that made my drink wrong, right? I ordered an extra hot, you know? When, When I recognize that's a human being, that's somebody that God created. When I recognize the cheese guy, you know, is a creature of God. God made him. All of a sudden, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chill out a little bit and I'm be able to be gentle with someone. I'm going to be able to be loving with someone. Why? Because the Lord is near. Every time there's an argument, every time there's a frustration, every time the Lord is in the midst of that situation, he sees what's happening and he can help me to become gentle in my response. I don't have to act that way. I don't have to react in a situation. I can 
respond in a way that is gentle. Why? The Lord's always near. He sees it every time. He sees the injustice and I can trust him with it. Okay. This is the road we would go down, right, with human anger. Here's what not to do. Here's what to do. When I look at righteous anger, this one's fascinating. Where does this one take us? Where does righteous anger take us? What should I do with it? What should I not do with it? When I look at the world and say, God, this world is not right, I'm angry about it. Or there's, not, there's things in me that aren't right. I'm angry about it. How should that look? How should it not look? Let's start here with what not to do. I don't want to become self-righteous. Boy, this is a temptation. We can look and see things from God's perspective a little bit and see the brokenness of the world, the sin of the world, and say, you know what? That group of people, they're all wrong and I'm right. They're, they're all bad and I'm good. And I can become self-righteous and think that I have somehow earned the standing that I have with God. Let me just say, God leaves zero room for that. Here's what the Bible would say. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In the Christian faith, there is zero room for boasting when it comes to our standing with God. The, the, the playing field is leveled. Everybody is made right with God the exact same way, by faith, by faith. I can't do anything to earn it. No matter how many times I go to church, no matter how awesome I think I am at, at keeping God's commandment or being a good person, the reality is the Bible would look at me, God would look at me and say, all you, you people are all the same. I love you. You're all in the same playing field. You've all broken my command, and the only way you're going to get right with me is by Jesus coming to die for you. Right? So there's no boasting. To, to operate from a place of self-righteousness is never appropriate. Here's the next level, what not to do, to hate people. Kind of in general, that's just a good rule of thumb, right? Don't want to hate people. In the Christian faith, if I'm going to look at myself and say, this group of people, I hate them because they participate in an activity or they operate in a morality that God disagrees with, so I hate them. I'm going to stand with a sign and scream at them. I'm going to pick up a bullhorn and yell obscenities at them. That is never appropriate. It's never appropriate. It's never appropriate to look at another political party, somebody that votes differently than I, and say, I hate that group of people. Here's what the Bible would say, right? Do everything in love. This is Paul. Do everything in love. If, boy, if you're, a, if you're a guest with us here today, hear me. You see all kinds of expressions of folks who claim to be followers of Jesus, but, but this is what the Bible says. Christ followers are marked by their love. First and foremost, we're to be people of compassion and we're to be people marked, as Jesus would say, you'll know that you're my followers by your love. I do everything in love. Can I disagree or even be angry about behaviors that happen in the world, about sins that are committed? Absolutely. I can disagree with you and love you at the same time, even though our culture says that's not possible. Do everything in love. Here's the last one. This one's fascinating. Don't embrace self-pity. Don't embrace self-pity. When I look around and it feels like no one's following God, 
it can be tempting to, to begin to pity myself and say, well, I guess I'm the only one, or I guess we're the only ones trying to do it. Sad for me. Here's another step further. When I find righteous anger about what I've done in my own life, my past sins, I can pick up self-pity and be mad at myself. And rather than seeing it motivate me to change, I can look back and say, if I could only go back and change it when I can't, and I wallow in self-pity and I beat myself up as if I paid for my own sins. But I would say that that is not how self-righteous, uh, excuse me, that's not how righteous anger needs to move. Not towards self-pity. Nothing good happens there. Here instead, the Bible would call that worldly sorrow. The Bible would call us instead to something that's called, this is a fascinating concept, it's called godly sorrow. Here's how it works. When I look at uh, what God's called me to do in righteous anger, I embrace godly sorrow. Righteous anger often is going to move me to a place where I have godly sorrow. Let me explain what this means. Paul says godly sorrow is this. It, it brings repentance. Repentance is just turning from my lifestyle. It's making a change in my life and going in an opposite direction. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And this is fascinating. Leaves no regret. So I've done some horrible thing in my past. I'm making a change in my life and there's left with no regret. I'm not wallowing in self-pity, beating myself up over my sin. I've repented from that. I'm moving on from it. There's no regret. What's left? See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. See, the Bible's saying when righteous anger hits my life, when I look at what I have done in my past, and we've all done, we've all committed sins that we're not proud of. I have. I, I didn't know Jesus till I was almost 19 years old, and I can look back in my past, and it's tempting to beat yourself up over it. He would say, instead, what I long for you to do is adopt godly sorrow. Let righteous anger, I hate what I did, turn into a godly sorrow. God, I'm sorry for what I did. I repent of it. And now I want to change. I want to move forward with it. Because right? what godly sorrow can do is it can move me in a positive direction, unlike how many other emotions can. Here's what I mean. It can help me make a difference in a peaceful way. But when I want to see change happen in my life or in the lives of the people that I interact with or in the world, I can be moved because of godly sorrow to do that. Here's the biggest one. I can embrace life change. I can embrace life change. Watch how this works. When righteous anger hits my life, I don't live here. I don't live here forever, but this can be a catalyst to move me into an area of growth in my life or change in my life that I have never dealt with before. In fact, I would be so far, I would guess, go so far as to say that I bet you almost all, if not all of the major changes in your life, this has been true of my life, have had anger connected to them. Think about it for a minute. When you made a big change in your life, when you got out of debt, when you lost a bunch of weight, when you stopped that habit, 
Maybe when you said yes to Jesus, that's how it was for me. You said, this can't be like this anymore. I'm angry that it is where it is. I'm disgusted with it. It needs to change. And there are few emotions that can move me to change like righteous anger. Here's how I think of it. Righteous anger, ready? Righteous anger can push us over the enough line. Over the enough line. Say, what's that, Ryan? Here's what the enough line is. The enough line is this. It's when I look at, let's specifically talk about our own lives. It's when I look at my own life and I come to a conclusion that an area or an aspect of my life has to change. I look at it and say, this is enough. I have had it. I'm done with that. See, that enough line, we, we don't get there without being a little fired up, a little angry, a, l- a little worked up that something has to change in me. Righteous anger can do that. Right? And when you look at the difference between human and righteous anger, here, here's how this works. This is, this is what's so convicting to me about this week is that, man, I, I'm going to get all kinds of worked up about human anger. Right? Cheese guy's going to bug me. He didn't do anything wrong. Politics are going to bug me. The line at Starbucks is going to bug me. I'm, I'm going to get fired up about the call that that ref made. I'm angry about it. I'm fired up because my fantasy football team didn't, whatever, right? And all the while, watch this, all the while, there's a huge aspect of my life that God wants to change and it's stuck and it doesn't bother me at all. I I could, if I change, my marriage could go to a whole new level. If I started to actually pray, I could could live in a level of power I've never experienced before. If I actually dealt with that addiction problem, I could experience a level of freedom and joy and a a guilt-free conscience that I haven't had in years. See, my life is left unconcerned about. There's not an anger about what needs to change in my life. I'm angry about all these other things. When God would say, wait a minute, what, what, if, what if you were angry and you didn't sin in it? What if you picked up the, the righteousness, the righteous anger of God and let it push you over the enough line where you said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with that addiction. I'm done looking at porn. I need to change. I'm done talking to that woman and keeping this relationship on the side who's not my spouse. I'm done overspending. I'm done with it. I'm done gossiping. I'm done living at this low level of status quo that somehow I've just adopted and I'm willing to talk. Here's a question. What are you willing to tolerate? Jesus died that we could have abundant life. Now I want that. I don't want to settle for anything less than that, and I'm not willing to tolerate living at a substandard level of abundant life. I want what Jesus died to give me. When I go over that enough line, I say, that's it. Something has to change. I cannot stay like this anymore. And for me, it's how I came to know Jesus. I didn't have any of this language. I wouldn't have known what to call it. But I came to a point in my life where I said, I cannot be like this anymore. 
I'm sick of my guilt. I'm sick of not knowing why I should get out of bed in the morning and what my life is about. I'm done. It's enough. Some of us are here today. Are you tuned in online and you're watching and you showed up because you're in the same place I was 18 years ago? and you don't know what the answer is, and you think it might be Jesus, and you're not sure, let me just encourage you. Let that discontent, that righteous anger, move you over the enough line to godly sorrow. Here's what you'll find. You will find a God who loves you, who will forgive you, all of it, You make the decision to follow Christ. He will not make all your problems go away, but you'll find the purpose and the peace that you're looking for. Say, Ryan, what about about the rest of us? Here's the question I'm asking myself these days. I'm asking myself, Ryan, what are you willing to tolerate? Where are you going to draw the enough line? Are you just going to settle in right here? Are you going to say, no, I will not settle. I'm calling the line. It's enough. Something has to change. I want more. I want more of what Jesus died to give me. I'm not going to settle for a distracted, meaningless life that's absorbed by not second or third or fifth priorities, but 20th priorities, where I'm not even focused on things that really matter. No, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done. It's enough. The question for us that's on the table is, where do you need to draw the line? Because here's the thing, God won't draw it for you. He's made it available. Victory is possible. Change is real. But you and I have to look at our lives and say, God, I agree with you. I I draw the line where you would draw it if you were living my life. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm done. I think of it like this. We come to the Lord and we, we pray this prayer in essence. Lord, I need to change. Will you help me? Will you change me in this blank problem? Lord, change my lying problem, my spending problem, my gossip problem, my distraction problem, my frivolous living problem, my flirting with a member of the opposite sex problem, my materialism problem, my greed problem my vanity problem. Lord, I can't, I won't live like this anymore. I need you to change me and I won't settle for anything less. I think the question on the table for us is, what fills in that blank? Is it human anger? Is it something else? This is what the Lord would have us wrestle with today. So it changes from the inside out make us new. As the band comes out, love you to wrestle that all the way through. Go over the enough line even today. Would you pray with me?
Lord, we need you. I need you. And I want to take hold of the life that you died to give me, Jesus. I refuse to settle for anything less. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us that conviction today to in our own lives not be willing to settle for the brokenness that doesn't have to be there, the sin that doesn't have to be there. Lord, you're thrilled and eager to forgive us. You're longing for us to ask so that you can change us from the inside out. But we gotta draw the line. Lord, would you give us the courage to do that? To believe after even past attempts to change that it can be different this time? You can take us farther, Lord, than we ever imagined. We need you, Lord. Meet us here. It's in your name we pray, Christ.